Welcome to The Hills. If you're just joining us, last week we started a series on marriage. And the first thing I want to do is thank all of you that gave me feedback. I heard not just from people who regularly attend our church, from people across the country very interested on what God has to say about having a healthy marriage. Now, if you didn't already know, let me just be totally upfront. I am not a trained counselor or a therapist. And consequently, in this series, I'm not going to do a lot of how-to teaching, which is very important. But I don't have a sermon plan, how to get on the same page with your finances, how to fight fair, how to get along with your in-laws. All those things are very important. What I bring to this conversation as a pastor and a theologian is the lens of the gospel. How do we see marriage as a kingdom endeavor and pursuit. And so, for example, next week we're going to talk about spiritual warfare, how our enemy wants to undermine our marriages. You won't hear that in a secular counseling session. Uh, in two weeks, we're going to talk about marriage as a context for discipleship and growing into the image of Christ. And then the final teaching is going to be one I don't think you've ever heard. We're going to ask the question How does someone who was seeking the kingdom of God? deal with the pain of a broken marriage. I think the best thing I can do for marriages is preach the gospel. And so what we're doing is we're asking the big question, now that I've picked this person I'm going to marry, what choices do I make as a follower of Jesus that affect all the other choices that get made in a marriage? And when you preach the gospel, you have to talk about the S word. Oh, yeah, we're going there today. We're going to talk about submission. So I start with a story about three men who each married women from three different states. The first man married a woman from Arkansas. And he said, I want dinner on the table every night. I want the house clean. I want the laundry done. First day. He didn't see anything. The next day he saw a little. And by the third day, he saw all those things being done by his new wife. The second man married a woman from Oklahoma. I want the yard mowed, the laundry done, food on the table, house clean. He didn't see anything for the first day. He didn't see anything for the second day. But by the third day, he saw everything just like he wanted. The third guy married a girl from Texas. He said, I want to see the yard mowed, the house cleaned, the food cooked. First day, he didn't see anything. Second day, he didn't see anything. By the third day, the swelling had gone down enough in his eye that he could barely see a little. <laughs> and he had got enough feeling back in his arms that he could make himself a sandwich and load the dishwasher. <laughs> okay, now I don't care who you are. That was funny, okay? <laughs> the subject of submission often makes us tense. It's often viewed as a binding thing, as an oppressive thing. And when, in fact, I think it is a very liberating thing when you see it through the lens of the gospel. So we're just going to go straight to the longest text in the New Testament on marriage. And we're going to read that word submit a lot. And we're not going to be afraid to see what the Spirit wants to show us today. So let's just start. We're in Ephesians chapter 5. We're starting in verse 21. Submit to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Now, it is hard for us to appreciate how radical this instruction would have been to the culture of Paul's day. Because the apostle is arguing for a mutuality in service and in surrender that would have been absolutely revolutionary. In fact, one reason today we resist this whole topic of submission is because in our culture we rightly view men and women as equals. Do you understand in Paul's day nobody did that? No one thought a woman was equal to a man. Just as I said two weeks ago, wherever the gospel goes, Abolition is about to follow. And wherever the gospel has gone, the status of women has been elevated. So today we just assume women are equal to men, and rightly so. In Paul's day, no one thought that. And that is the radical thing that he's teaching here. See, Paul understands we're all followers of Christ, and we are first to be last. We choose, remember last week, we choose die over my. And that reality impacts the way we look at every part of our lives, starting with our closest relationships. So in a world that does view as some better than others or some over others, some are the winners and some are the losers, in a world full of competition, Christians choose we over me. See, one of the first things I learned in marriage, if I win, we loses. And early in my marriage, I loved winning. And I paid too big a price for some of the silly battles I insisted on winning. And again, I am not a counselor, but I have talked to a lot of marriages that are struggling. And I have learned that often the thing that they're arguing or fussing about is simply a symptom of a deeper issue. They want to beat each other. And we come up with these manipulative ploys to win. And so he says, well, if I just raise my voice and intimidate, I will get my way. And she says, well, if I just nag enough or give you the silent treatment, I'll get my way. Well, if I just control what happens with the checkbook, I'll win. Well, if I just control what happens in the bedroom, I'll win. 
You see, in biblical marriage, the goal is not to win. It's to be first to be at the back of the line. See, what this radical revolutionary idea Paul is presenting that no one had ever heard of to that day is simply this. Marriage is a submission competition. He said something that nothing in antiquity ever said before. Submit to one another. No one in the world thought that way. Not many today think that way. This is not the way of the world. This is the way of the cross. Now, I want to show you an absolutely beautiful picture. This is Herbert and Zelmyra Fisher. They, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, were married longer than any other American couple on record. They married as teenagers. They were married for 87 years. He died a few years ago at the age of 105, and she died two years later at the same age of 105. And so they were often asked, what is the secret to a long, healthy marriage? And I love what they said. They said, one thing we decided very early on, we bought a couple of rocking chairs and we put them on the porch and every night we talked to each other. But Zelmyra said something that I want you really to lean into and listen. This is so good. She said, marriage is not a contest. Never keep score. God has put the two of you together on the same team to win. We are not in competition with each other. We are in competition for each other. Every day, in all kinds of ways, we choose we over me. Now here's the thing. Your marriage is not going to accidentally drift into a submission competition. You're not just going to happen to get there. You have to pursue it. So I want to show you three things in this text in Ephesians 5 that are so big that I feel like the Lord showed me. And the first is absolutely critical. Ephesians 5 is showing us that Paul is assuming commitment to Christ and submission to the Spirit. Now that's big. See, Paul understands he's giving marital advice that non-believers do not have the desire or the power to obey. The things that we just read and the counsel you're going to hear today is for those who have already submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. Listen again to what he said. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, I'm about to say something really big. Get ready. The sad reality is that many Christians are living in a Christless marriage. Now, what do I mean by that? I'm not saying that both mates have not confessed Christ. I'm saying that neither mate considers Christ when they decide how they're going to deal with their partner. Christians in a Christless marriage. I'm about to shock you with what I'm about to say. Believing in Jesus is not going to help your marriage. You heard it. Believing in Jesus is not going to improve your marriage. Behaving like Jesus is going to improve 
your marriage. And you need supernatural help to do that. And so that's why it's so important that we keep Ephesians 5 in its context. You see, our Bibles divide things up in chapters and verses. Paul wasn't doing that. we got to go back a couple of lines to the context of Ephesians 5. And here's what Paul says starting in verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I want you to remember. There's just one verb in that whole section. Be filled with the Spirit, followed by three participles that modify what that verb means. Here's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, Paul says. You're always worshiping God. If you're filled with the Spirit, you're always lifting up songs of praise to God. If you're filled with the Spirit, you're always giving thank. Third participle, you're submitting to one another. Paul is saying this is what the Spirit-filled life is like. You are a worshiper, you're a grateful person, and you are a submitter. You see, it's, it's not so much that joy is what I get out of my marriage as much as joy is what I bring to my marriage because I'm full of God. And when you're full of God and the Holy Spirit is pouring God's love into your heart, there's always love in the bank for you to give to the people closest to you. So many mornings I'll get up early and go for a run or, or a walk or maybe even go hit some golf balls and I'll come home and almost every time there will be my wife and she's at the breakfast table and she's got her Bible out, she's got her tablet and she's spending time with the Lord. And let me tell you, the thing I love first about my wife, Jamie, is that she loves me second. She has always pursued Jesus. And she loves me best because she loves Jesus most. This is what Paul is just assuming, that you are passionate about submitting to Christ. You are passionate about being full of the Holy Spirit. And when we're full of Christ, we can empty ourselves, which is what we're going to need to do. Because the second thing Ephesians 5 says is Paul is assigning to each mate the responsibility to surrender me. Spirit-filled people don't focus on their Rights. They focus on their responsibilities and the Christ followers responsibility to others never depends on the others deservedness or their capacity to reciprocate. Let me say that again. When you're following Jesus Christ and when you're full of his spirit. You respond to others regardless of the way they're acting or their capacity to return what you're giving. It doesn't depend on them. It depends on my reverence for Christ. And you cannot honor Christ without getting specific. So what Paul does is he expects husbands and wives to surrender me in ways that are unique 
and concrete. Specifically, he assigns to wives the responsibility to respect your husband. Do you know there's not a single verse in the Bible that tells women to love their husbands? And here's why. Because if a man feels disrespected, he feels unloved. We had at our marriage conference a few years ago a woman named Shanti Feldon who's done a lot of research and she wrote a book called For Women Only I would recommend to any woman thinking about getting married. It helps you understand men. And in that book, they did research. They did hundreds of men and they asked him this question. Would you rather feel alone and unloved or inadequate and disrespected? 75% of men said, I would rather feel alone and unloved. Now, you need to understand that. Do you believe in me? Is the question every man wants his wife to answer. Do you respect my judgment that I'm making good decisions? Do you respect my ability that you think I've got what it takes? Do you respect my intentions that, that when you don't understand something and you have to make a decision, do I believe the best or the worst about him in this moment? I'm going to choose to believe the best. And ladies, please understand, unspoken respect is disrespect. You need to verbally communicate that you respect your husband. And you need to be sure to do that in front of other people. Don't put down your husband in public. Build him up. You say, well, he doesn't always act respectable. Paul didn't say he's got to act respectable for you to respect him. You see, this is a gift you give. It's not a reward he earns. You're doing this not because he deserves it. You're doing it out of reverence for Christ. And husbands, the challenge for you is equally as great. Paul assigns to you the responsibility to love your wife. Again, this is not a reward because she's lovely. This is your choice because you revere Christ. Paul calls on husbands to put the gospel into action. And husbands, that means that you learn to love your wife in the way that she can hear it. You see, most of us, we give love in the way that we most receive love. You need to learn to say, I love you to your wife in the way that she understands. I'm going to have a great picture I want to show you. This was just taken this month. This is Willem and Rita Snyman. And Willem uh, is from South Africa. 70 years ago, he rescued Rita from drowning. And they've been together ever since. Now, the reason they made the papers recently is they were in the hospital this summer. They both contracted COVID. They were in the same room, beds next to each other. And Rita got very close to death. And Willem knew that she was giving up. And he knew what said, I love you. She loved to hear him sing. And so he sang. He sang for hours in their room. He sang World War II songs. He made up songs. Not so much because he loves to sing, but because she loves to hear it. And his singing saved her as much as the medicines. That's what husbands do when they revere Christ. You know, 
Paul says Christ loved his church. He gave himself for his church, not because she's so beautiful, but to make her beautiful. And so, you listen to me, guys. When you say, well, I just don't love my wife anymore. What you're really confessing in that moment is, I just don't reverence Christ right now. Because if I don't love my wife, that is not her fault. That is my fault. You know, the Bible not only never commands a woman to love her husband, it never commands a husband to rule his wife. It commands the husband to love his wife. Not because she deserves it, but because Christ does. Now, this is hard teaching. You're not going to get this in secular counseling. This kind of surrendering of me is always going to be resisted by the flesh. And here's the thing. The biggest fight in your marriage is not going to be with your mate. It's going to be with your me that doesn't want to be last. Me wants to win. Me knows how to win. And when me wins, we loses. So here's the big question I've been asking myself a lot lately. Do I want to be right more than I want to be Christ? Do I want to win more than I want to be Jesus to someone else? The rabbis for centuries, have told a story about why God picked the spot He picked to build the temple. Now, it's a fable, but even though it's not true, it tells the truth. And here's the story they tell. There were two brothers. They worked a common field. They brought their grain to a common meal. And every day, they would split the grain half and half, and each brother would take some to his own granary. But you see, one of the brothers was single, and one was married and had many children. And the single brother was worried that his married brother did not have enough food for his family. So every night he would sneak and take some of his grain and put it in his brother's granary. And the married brother was worried that his single brother didn't have children to take care of him when he was old. And so every night he would take some of his grain and sneak and put some in his brother's granary. And one night they met each other and realized what was happening and they embraced and God said, this is a place of love. This is where I want my temple to be built. It's not a true story. But the rabbis were teaching a truth. When two people surrender me, you create a holy place where God wants to show up. You see, God has plans for our marriages. Paul said, this is a profound mystery. I know I've been saying a lot about husbands and wives, but actually, I'm also teaching about Christ and the church. And that's the third thing Ephesians 5 tells us. That Christian marriage has an agenda bigger than its own health. We alluded to this last time. Now, not everybody's called to marriage. Jesus made that clear. Uh, being single and following Christ is an honorable way to live. Not everyone is called to marriage, but every 
Marriage has a calling. God has given to our marriages the same agenda He's given to His church. Display to the world the love of Christ. I want you to see that we over me is an announcement of the gospel. This is why Satan is attacking our marriages. It's not so much because he hates us, but because he hates Christ so much. It's no coincidence that right after this section on relationship in Ephesians 5, Paul follows with the longest section in the New Testament about spiritual warfare. Because the enemy knows that your potential to make Jesus known has the farthest impact in your closest relationships. Because it's in your closest relationships where grace will have to be needed and extended most often. And so Paul says there's no relationship that has the capacity to extend and display what real grace looks like than a husband and a wife submitted to Christ and out of reverence to Christ submitting to each other. The world doesn't need more experts. The world needs more examples. The world needs a new definition of winning. We over me. And this is what that means. We over me is going to need he over us. Like I said, I'm not a therapist or a counselor. I'm trying to get you to look at your marriage through the lens of the gospel and the bigger kingdom agenda. The way we view marriage will decide the way we do marriage. Do you view your marriage primarily as a platform to display the Lordship of Jesus Christ? I'll say it again. Too many Christians are living in Christless marriages. I'm talking about the S word. You can believe in Jesus and not be submitted to Christ. Maybe that's what we need to do right now. Maybe what you need to do this week with your mate is start praying together again. Reading scripture together. Going to church as a family regularly. You'll love each other best when you pursue Christ most. The uh, acclaimed artist Rodin was walking on the road one day and he saw this huge carved crucifix and he loved the artwork and he purchased it. And he hired people to put it on a cart and take it to his house. And he got home and he realized it wouldn't fit in his house. It was too big. And so what he did was he tore down the walls and he raised the roof and he built his house around the cross. You need to take up the cross and lose 
yourself. Your marriage will be the big winner. So wherever you are around the world right now, would you just bow your head? And if you're with your mate, would you just take their hand and bow your head together? So God, in the powerful name of Jesus, I'm praying that you would do a mighty work in all the marriages that are listening right now to this prayer. No matter where they are on the health scale, we believe that you are the God that raises the dead, that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, can bring life into any situation. And so, God, I pray for that right now, that you will bring new life, new passion, new resilience, and new purpose to every marriage listening to this prayer. That we will surrender our marriages and our hearts to Christ and make Him known. That many people will come home to you because they see what grace looks like in our home. This is our prayer for the glory and honor of Christ. Amen.